All right. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, episode number 197. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined by my co-host here, the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, dude? Oh, we're uh, we're chilling. Um, Had a pretty rough few days. And uh, as you know, my truck is broken down dead in my driveway at the moment. Um, I'm going to call a tow truck to have come pick it up. Water pump went at a big puddle of fluid, even though I only put 7,000 miles on it. Whatever. <laughs> like, just funny. Got out perfect fishing. Um, my thumb got all bashed in. I stabbed myself with a play knife. Like, we're doing it. <laughs> You're just getting out the kinks for the new season. That's all. Yeah, what's up with you, man? Uh, not uh, real, real quick before we go on. What's going on with me? I totally never asked you, but where did you realize that you thought your power steering was going out? So I um, pick up my daughter from daycare. I'm driving down the road, and I come out of a turn, and all of a sudden I hear this loud, like hissing, rumbling sound. And I was like, "That's weird." So I I stop at the light and I turn, and it kind of like makes a weird like. I'm like, oh, it's a power steering, and you hear, yeah, bam, bam. bam. <laughs> we'll come back to the power steering. So, me and Justin <laughs> River were fishing with my buddy at James Kirtland. He's a um, captain for like Lake Run, Rainbow Trout, Steelhead, and like right. And I went to go open up the back door of his SUV, his Chevy Silverado from like 1998, and I broke the door handle off at like five in the morning. <laughs> It's all those bear paws, dude. It's all- <laughs> the other guy, Stephen Shen, who's also a guy up there, and he goes, oh, you got Bam Bam with you again today. <laughs> so, I always break a rod on his boat. Like, it's chaos. And start off the day prime and fresh by ripping a door handle. But back to my power steering. I get home, and I put the car in park, and, my, and it's like revving a little more. I'm like, no, oh, that's a funny noise. So I turn it off, and I see, I don't see any smoke, but I hear dripping, and I look down, and there's just fluid everywhere underneath my truck. Oh, like, hmm. It was getting a little tougher to steer, but I open up the hood. While I was in my stoop looking, I could see where it was coming out of the water pump. So I got my water pump shot. Oh, geez. It could be my power steering pump, too, but whatever. So you're picking up the truck this weekend, correct? It should be done? I'm hoping it's still sitting in my driveway because I got to call the tow truck company to come get it. My oh, yeah. appointment's Saturday. I called the dealership today and they're like, if you can uh, get it in before then, we might be able to service it and get it back to you sooner. And I'm like, on the tow truck company tomorrow. Huh. Well, hopefully, hopefully all goes well, buddy. <laughs> hopefully you can get it back. So, I don't care. I bought it 2013. And it's always my luck when I buy a used car. Everything underneath the sun goes wrong. Sometimes I put the warranty on them. Sometimes I don't. The truck I put it on, and we're good to go now. So, oh, yeah. hopefully, all is well. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, things are going well with me. Uh, to answer, to kind of answer you and White Whale, uh, we are catching uh, back up in the north, and uh, finally got the Hobie out on northern waters that are finally open. Found a few, a uh, few brown fish. Got some work done, and. Uh, Things are going well. The business is slowly growing. We're getting up there, and uh, it's going to be an exciting spring. We got some some things going on, some things in the works, whether personal or fishing. Uh, it's going to be an exciting and action-packed uh, spring and summer, so we're pretty looking forward to that. But 
not not too much. Just kind of looking forward to uh, more uh, New York waters opening up here and getting after it and beating some fish in the face. Side note, real fast. It's incredible how low all of our lakes are this spring. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, my gosh. It's insane. <laughs> like, you, you have to pick very, like, strategically where you're going to go, especially for guys with boats. Mm-hmm. I mean, kayaks, obviously, it doesn't matter much at all. But, like, boats can't get into certain ramps because it's so low. And it's it's kind of crazy. But a couple notes for tonight, folks, before we uh, bring on our guest, Mr. Tai Ao. Uh, we'll be talking about a bunch of different stuff tonight that uh, we are really looking forward to. Like, we're going to talk about Wild West Trail, uh, Smith Lake. We're going to be talking about barometric pressure, a uh, bunch of different things. Make sure you guys get your questions in because, again, as every Monday Night Live, we are giving away two bags of Outdoorsman coffee to two different winners. Uh, Andy and I will both choose uh, two lucky two lucky winners. Uh, I say lucky, but you guys will be pumping out some good questions for our, our guest tonight. So we're looking forward to that. Um, but Today uh, was day three on Pickwick for the elites. So good luck to uh, Chad Pipkins and Bill Lowen as they duel it out. They're tied for first going into day four tomorrow. And also, I believe Spencer Shuffield is leading Group A for down on Sam Rayburn for Stage One of the Pro Circuit for MLF. I believe Mark Davis is leading Group B. Um, I remember I saw Dawson Connell caught like a nine pounders in second after his. He's keeping that hot streak going after his win of the red crest, but um, some good stuff, some good fishing going on this week. Um, I think I was going to bring up one more thing, but I think without further ado, we should bring on our guest for today. We have him sitting down there for like six minutes. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ty, Al, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up guys. Thanks. For, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, pleasure. We appreciate you taking the time to, because we know you're out West. So it's eight o'clock here. Uh, obviously it's dinner time for you. So we appreciate you taking out that valuable time to, uh, sit down and talk fishing with us, drop some knowledge, but real quick to the both yeah. of you, before we get into Ty, like your history and all that, uh, did you both see that crazy video from Steve Kennedy today on that small mouth up in the current? No. no okay. I saw a lot. Video. okay. I, I highly recommend when you get a chance off here tonight, uh, even right now for all I care, you can look it up. So Steve, Steve Kennedy was like, way up in this current where he's just getting blown around. He has to idle up just to get himself in position to try and sort of stay on the trolling motor. He's bouncing around on rocks and he's getting pushed back from the current and he thinks he's snagging. He pops his rod and he realizes he has like a five or six pound smallie. <laughs> gets stuck in a tree and he almost gets yanked out of the boat and you see him going nuts all over. I thought he was going to fall in the water. Pulls it out and he, he's like he's pulling, you know when you're going to like break off, purposely break off in your snag? He does mm-hmm. that and it pops, and at first you can tell he thought he broke off, but then his rod, his line starts going again to realize he still has the fish, and mm-hmm. he gets it all the way to the boat, fights it for a couple minutes, all the way in the boat, it's like a five-pounder, gets it right there, has his hand on it, snaps the line, goes off. Oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. It was <laughs> probably one of the wild, wildest fish catchers I've seen on live. But, yeah, I had to ask. yeah. Well, enough yeah. about that. Uh, first things first, Ty, we'd love to hear about your history as an angler, how you got into bass fishing in the first place and who kind of installed that passion in you? Yeah. So I was, 
I'm an Arizona native, and not a lot of people can say that. I was born and raised here in Arizona. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, my parents were the boat people that came over from um, Vietnam. We were, you know, South Vietnam, escaped the communist rule, got on the boat, went to the Philippines, stayed there for two years, and then, you know, got into the U.S. And uh, the reason why we came to Arizona, my uncle uh, did that trip. Um, and got adopted by a really nice family down in Tucson. So we ended up in Arizona and, you know, just kind of grew up. My dad, you know, we were never on any government assistance program. That's just how my dad is. Uh, grew up not very uh, rich, as you can imagine. Um, but my dad, you know, really uh, conservative. Basically, he took us out to go fishing. Um, my brother and I got into fishing and, you know, looking back now, we realized not only that was fun, but my dad was trying to catch his food. So with that being said, I mean, we started bluegill fishing, catfish, anything that can um, swim. And uh, probably around the age of 12, my dad, uh, one of his buddies told my, uh, my dad about, you know, how to catch fit a bass. So we went to a lake called San Carlos. We all got to pick out a uh, bait and I picked out a crankbait, some sort of crankbait. And we just went out to the middle of the cove, threw out an anchor and just cast in the middle of the cove. And... It took about 10 minutes for my dad to catch one. Then my brother caught one. I remember being kind of jealous about that. So, um, you know, I ended up catching one. So we all ended up catching a couple. So that's where it kind of um, sparked my interest that, you know, you can trick a fish to uh, eating a artificial lure, an artificial lure. And then uh, probably about the age of 15 or so, my brother and I were walking through um, a store and saw a flyer that, you know, there's tournaments that you can enter. So we all, we scrounged up $130, fished a, uh, it was called a, um, it's called a Pat the Patagonia Elites now. It's a very small lake, uh, just 30 minutes north of the Mexico border. And uh, I remember signing up for that tournament, man, I was shaking and, you know, <laughs> it was uh, nerve wracking and uh, we got our teeth kicked in. But that's where it all started, you know, and slowly we progressed through the different levels, local. And then um, about 10 years, 11 years ago now, I had, uh, I had, uh, sorry about that, I had quit fishing. <laughs> And my brother, my dog just opened the door and my kids are out there. Sorry about that. So about 11 years ago, man, I actually I quit fishing. I gave it up. I had lost everything, um, you know, and, and, you know, my brother dragged me out of the house to go fish an event in uh, Northern California, California Delta. So he uh, offered to pay for everything. And I didn't have hardly any tackle. I had like old, like beat up Senkos that were faded. Um Long story short, I mean, I found myself with a four-pound lead at my very first – was the FLW National Guard event at that time, uh, leading by four pounds just to blow it on the final day because I, I remember being like train wreck that day, man. I was setting the hook so hard on, like, you know, a little tiny cinco fish, just kind of hope – you know, when you set the hook and hope at the same time. Um, but anyway, long story short – Came in second. I mean, I was devastated. I think after I weighed in, I ran to the bathroom. I was dry heaving, just, uh, you know, just sick to my stomach that I lost. But, you know, everybody back then that was, you know, uh, you know, cheering me on that, that, that high. I mean, I had a similar high last uh, last week at Smith Lake. Very, very similar to that to now that I think about it. Um you know, it, I just fell back in love with uh, tournament fishing. I knew exactly what I, knew, I wanted to do. So, I mean, since then, I mean, just my history, 
I started, uh, my, you know, my brother gave me a car to get me back on my feet, started working as hard as I could, just, you know, trying to make as much money as I can. Um, I started doing tournaments again, driving around in a 1997 Honda Accord with my rods laid off on across the passenger seat, you know, doing TBF tournaments as a co-angler. You know, it's all I can afford at the time, but it gave me an opportunity to get out, meet people, network, things like that. That year I finished, um, uh, you know, I couldn't practice or anything either. That was the crazy thing thinking about it. I was sleeping in my car a lot of times. Um, you know, I just did anything I can because I didn't care where I slept, what I ate, as long as I was out there competing, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's where I found my joy because nothing else mattered. You know, when I was actually out there, the stresses upon life, you know, all the, uh, just, you know, I didn't care. I just, when I'm out there, I'm free, man. So mm -hmm. I, um, uh, drove around, did that, finished, uh, angler of the year. And I couldn't go represent the state team because my son was born. And then, you know, I missed the California Delta, the only year that I ever missed the California Delta, because that's why I always make it a point to go there, because every time I'm there, it brings me back to where I had started. And I think it's really important to look back and reflect, um, you know, how you got to where you're at. And, uh, you know, being out there, the smell of that place just brings back a lot of like bad but good memories, you know, and uh that's why the Delta is my home lake. I consider it my home lake on the West Coast. I mean, I've logged in over 100 days fishing there. So I slowly progressed uh, fishing from, uh, well, after after that year, I had saved up like $5,500, right? My son's going to be born. And uh, um, my brother called me and said, hey, man, uh, you should buy this boat. I said, dude, you know I'm trying to save for the house, so. Uh, but knowing my brother, he wouldn't steer me wrong. And I asked him, hey, how much is this boat? He said, yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, it was a 2006 Ranger, year left on the warranty, has two HDS 10s. I mean, it was like a real bass boat. So I asked him how much. Big mistake, because he's like, well, dude, the boat's worth like 27 grand. He wants to get rid of it for 15 grand. It was like a deal of a lifetime. And uh, anyway, I picked it up. I called my dad. He loaned me like the rest of the money. By the time the boat got here, I had zero money, right? About a month later, I had just got paid FLW. I believe it was the Railback series at that time. Came to Lake Roosevelt. I'm like, dude, I got a real bass boat. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go fish. Well, by the time practice was over, I signed up. I remember I caught a catfish and ate it in practice. Uh, that's how broke I <laughs> 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 So anyway, uh, I signed up and I remember looking at my account and I was like, dude, I got $117 to my name. And I'm like, my son's going to be born in like four months. I was like, all right, whatever, man. Uh, time to get it done. Right. So. <laughs> The crazy thing about that tournament, fishing was really tough. The water had gone up. It was really, really muddy. And uh, cold, muddy conditions, everybody know that's, like, really tough to fish. But I had um, – I was driving on a flat. I was going to turn into a cove. And the first picture that popped up on my Larranche units, so the first time I ever used, like, downscan, the first picture that popped up was a tree with a bunch of white dots in it. So I'm like – that looked like, you know, the stuff I've been seeing on the internet. So I threw out the guy, the boat came with like a buoy, you know, because uh, GPS wasn't that great at that time. And, and 
you know, uh, I threw out a buoy right next to the tree and I went back, lined up my cast and I caught a fish and I caught another one. And then a third cast and I, I left, not thinking anything of it. Second day, I fished till like noon. I haven't even got a bite, man. It was the last day of practice. I went back to that tree, threw one cast, how to fish. So basically, um, that tournament, long story short, I ended up finishing. There was only two guys that caught a limit every day. I was one of them and Mr. Nade. We were right next to each other. He was like a little further in. But uh, I finished fifth. And I won exactly 5,500 bucks. So I got my down payment back. <laughs> so <laughs> that was like a real, a big relief. Like it was, it meant a lot to me. And then I remember buying the house. I had to send in like the proof that where I got the money and I have to stream the stub. It was kind of cool thinking back about it, but I, I wouldn't recommend going that route for anybody because things could have gone sideways. Um, but you know, that was significant to me because if I didn't win that money, I probably would have just had to get rid of the boat to buy a house for my son. So anyway, that gave me kind of like a little jump start, And then um, slowly, yeah, I was just fishing anything and anything out here. And for the last say five years, anywhere that uh, I saw a tournament, like on a fishery I haven't been to, I made a, a point to go sign up because what I was really doing is I was trying to put myself in very like a, a uncomfortable situation where I'm at a lake that I don't know. I just wanted to see how well I was going to do and kind of train myself because uh, I knew that I was going to go back east one day sooner or later. And, you know, that happened last, you know, this year. Last year, I was able to win two, um, you know, FLW events at Havasu and Clear Lake and then finished top 10 at the Delta. So I've done everything I've wanted to do out west. And, you know, now I'm looking back east and, you know, took my shot, went out to Okeechobee. I thought I was on them. I found fish the second day. I caught 17 pounds the second day. I thought I was on them. I said, like, I texted my brother. I was like, dude, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do good. Well, long story short, I caught the smallest limit of, <laughs> I did get a limit both days. But I caught the smallest limit, so don't mean to brag or anything. But, uh, yeah, I left that tournament in 105th place. Because uh, before that, I was, like, looking. I was like, man, how hard could it be to beat half these guys and get my money back, you know? Well, finishing 135th, I left with – I remember driving with no music on, staring at the road like, what the heck did I just do? Because I had quit my job. <laughs> you know, I have to catch him to, to pay the bills. And, um, yeah, if, if things were going to go like that for the whole season, I'd be in a lot of trouble. So, um, you know, Smith Lake kind of turned my season around. And the crazy thing about Smith Lake is I hardly did any research because I just needed to take a mental break about, like, being so amped up about fishing. Um, I basically watched maybe a few FLW shows that were out there, you know, that was a few years old. I just kind of looked at the lake, looked at the map, looked at where we launched. I just went fishing, you know, and uh, practice didn't go good at all, neither. So practice at Smith Lake. I caught uh, probably about close to 30 fish that first day of practice to set up um, like Shasta, Pleasant, and New Maloney's out west, if I had to put them all together. Spotted bass at Shasta. Um, they, you know, the big ones at Shasta, they move up, they feed, and then they move back off. You can go fish deep there, catch, you know, 50, 100 fish a day if you want, but a lot of them are going to be small. 
So I'd rather not go that route. I'd rather go fish for the quality. So keeping that in mind, looking at the, you know, time of year, we're heading into spring, I guess. Um, fish should be up shallow. So I just stuck shallow and um, the conditions in practice was sunny. We did, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of wind, so I couldn't get on that reaction bite that good. But, you know, throwing a Yamamoto Nico Rig Senko, I caught tons of fish. And between that and a jig, um, I was like, man, I caught like 20 something keepers. And then I found out that they didn't get an exception for the 15 inch rule that year, this year. So I went from like, oh man, uh, never mind. I got five keepers. Man, what am I going to do? <laughs> so, so Jimmy, uh, Aaron, you know, a couple of my buddies, you know, we were in for a rude awakening when we found that, that out that the, the, the limit didn't get changed. So anyway, second day I went out. Um, I had a trim issue probably about like six hours away from where I launched over by the dam. Um, I can only idle now. So um, I called the Mercury mechanic. He said it was going to take care of it. But I just finished out my day. It is what it is. And uh, as I was idling around, I mean, by the time I got close to the ramp, I had caught one keeper and four fish. I was like, oh, here we go again. Okeechobee number two. I'm going to get an F again. And uh, when I got to the dam, the wind started picking up. So I picked up a swim bait. I caught three, a one close to four pounds, and then uh, picked up the, the, the S waiver at the very end of the day. I got two taps on it. Um, and then I had like about a five, six pound follower. Uh, so I knew that there was going to be some big fish in the area. So I decided to go there. Um, and again, I didn't think that they were going to bite the swim bait in practice anyway. So that kind of leads me into our, our, our topic is barometric pressure. So the barometric pressure during practice, you know, was high. The cows were high and thin. I just knew that they weren't going to eat the swim bait. I was just trying to get them to follow it and they wouldn't even follow yeah. it. But hmm. yeah, so. Um, I wasn't expecting them to eat it in practice anyway. So when I threw it, because I knew that the bear mesh pressure was high, knowing that they're not going to eat it, it didn't like, you know, it, 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 it didn't make me feel unconfident about throwing it yet. So um, come game day, launching in the morning, I looked up, the clouds were low, we had overcast, those fish are going to be roaming, and they're going to be probably eating the swim bait today. So that day we had the most wind. So I basically pulled out the S waiver and I had it on the deck and I knew I was going to be throwing a little bit more and I knew my chances of getting bit on that were actually going to be pretty good. So, you know, first thing in the morning, I stopped by a couple of my primary spots where I caught some nice one on the way up to the dam and catching one keeper. And when I got to the dam area, I caught two more on a small Kitek. And then I went over to a point where I saw that five pounder and man, I, I don't know if it was that fish, but I, threw, I made that same cast, went thumped it and I missed it. So if you guys watch my video, that's the fish I was talking about. So I like, man, I needed that fish. You know, I don't have a limit yet. I went over to my next spot, first cast on the waiver, bam, I catch a two something, a nice keeper, like an 18, 19 inch uh, keeper. And then I caught one that probably went a little over, maybe about, yeah, a little over three pounds. Three and a half pounds. Yeah, I actually remember weighing them. Three and a half pounds. So I caught that one, uh, like, on the same spot within five minutes of each other. So I have a limit. So now I actually have a pretty good limit, about 12 pounds. So I decided to throw it all day long, and I caught, I think, nine more. And, yeah, that was an epic day, man. A lot of the catches didn't even make it on video. I think the video might have been too long. So it just uh, – uh, so – 
with about two hours after I went to practice, I found that other area and I caught uh, two more good ones out of there. So I got two pretty big areas now. So I just basically ended up um, um, fishing those two areas on an S waiver about 90% of the time. The second day I caught all my fish on the S waiver. I caught like eight, seven. The third day um, I caught exactly five keepers on it, one on a uh, – on a uh, uh, a 3.8 high tech. Mm-hmm. I saw I saw that one on my Lawrence um, active target. As a matter of fact, I was actually fishing for a school in front of me, and I stopped and I actually saw the school behind me. So I made the cast behind the motor, and that's how I caught that fish. Oh, and then sweet. I caught on the two Realis pencil when they were boiling on top one. I missed a lot of big ones on that too. But every day I had about a four or five pounder that come up and just kind of blow on it. But uh, the bad thing about throwing waivers is the bait's going this way, fish is coming up, and then it kind of goes this way, and the fish misses it. So right. I saw a lot of nice fish. And if, if I would have connected on, you know, well, all of them, I think, um, you know, yeah, my chances of winning would have been pretty good. But, uh, again, it's a high-risk, high-reward. You can't expect right. to catch them all. It's frustrating throwing that thing, but – no, that's why I kind of want to talk about barometric pressure. You're not going to see me throwing it when the clouds are high and thin. So barometric pressure, I've done a lot of research on it. And believe it or not, I know that a lot of us know it to some extent. I'm here to help you guys understand it a little bit more so you can apply it. For example, um, everybody heard of bluebirds, guys. We, we've been out there after a storm. Fishing's tough. Okay. That's because when the storm came in, the barometric pressure went down. And then post front is when that system pushes through, barometric pressure goes up. If you see any clouds, they're usually high and thin. It's usually calm. On those days, I rather sit home and you know pick, pick lint out of my carpet. As a matter of fact, I have. I, <laughs> I yep, no. yeah, I've had a free weekend before, and I look and I was like, oh, barometric pressure is high. I stay in. I'd rather just not go fishing on that day if I'm going to go out there fun fishing because I'm not going to be catching. It's going to be a grind. And on those days, you, you got to fish deep, and I'll touch base on uh, as to why you should do that. Um, so, you know, if you look at the water column, um, you know, bare mesh pressures, shallow fish are going to be affected by that the most. If you go down 32 feet, we'll round it down to 30, but 32 feet is one ATM, one atmospheric pressure change. So exactly 32 feet, the pressure is going to double, you know, 64 feet is going to double again. So if you pay attention to the tournaments uh, around your area, if you, especially if you've got deep lakes and, uh, you know, you know, some close friends, you know, we all got those friends that all they do is drag a jig. All that guy does is flip. All that guy does is drop shot. All that guy does is crank. We all have those friends. I mean, I pay attention to it. And uh, when the barometric pressure is high, I can pick five guys and, you know, at least three of them be in the top 10 here in Arizona, at least, because I know they're happy. I know they like to fish deep, things like that. But uh, for guys that throw a reaction, you know, um, for example, I'll use Brett Height as an example. That guy will catch him on a chatterbait. Um, and, you know, he's going to do a lot better when the bare mesh pressure is going down. Whereas another good buddy, Matt Shura, he likes to fish deep, drag around the drop shot. He's going to do better when the bare mesh pressure is high. So uh, with that being said, you kind of use that to your advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
basically there are so many tournaments. Um, I mean, I got like a hundred examples, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to my latest, my latest one. Uh, in December, we fished a Wild West Bass Teams tournament, and I told Daniel, "Man, the barometric pressure isn't going to go down until noon." So it was going to be a grind, and I told him that, "Hey, we're better off just fishing deep." You know, fishing for those deep fish, trying to get a limit, and then swinging for the fences when noon hits when the bear mesh pressure drops. Now, depending on where you're at, I'm obviously here in Arizona. When, if you pay attention to the wind direction, um, mm -hmm. here, if I pay attention to the wind direction, most of our cold fronts come from the northwest. You know, Oregon on down to Northern California, down to us. So the, when the wind's blowing from that direction, typically... 90% of the time, that's going to be a high barrier mesh pressure system. So when the wind's blowing from that direction, it clues me in that pressure is probably going up, uh, especially if you got any clouds. I know the pressure is going up. And then if you look at your app, you can kind of match it up to what's going on. And in that tournament, um, when around noon hit, that wind shifted from the south. That's where we get most of our low pressure system. So... You can find all this information out in your area by Googling weather front maps. And, you know, you'll see like a uh, weather system with an H. Well, that's high pressure. You'll see right. another one, an L. That's low pressure. Well, just find out what's going, you know, what's happening. What, is it going to be pushing towards their area? If it's pushing towards your, towards your area and the pressure's going down, that's when magic happens if you like throwing right. reaction bait. So, so anyway. pressure is going up, that's not ideal. No, that, that's horrible. And yeah, <laughs> it's a very confusing topic, too, because I had a 30 something hour drive. So I just want to see what other people said, have to say about it. So I YouTube it and I was listening to some other podcasts. And some of these guys got it so wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know wrong I've been fishing my whole life. And I noticed this when, believe it or not, I was 12 years old when I knew it, uh, when I found it, when, when I had my first hint about it. I'll tell you guys that right. story in a little bit. But anyway, in that tournament, the winds shifted from the south. I saw the low overhang. I call them cotton clouds. It looked like cotton balls started to push in the wind started to pick up i turned out to my partner around to my partner daniel i'm like dude they're gonna start munching and not even i want to say not even 10 minutes after i said that i caught a five and a half pounder in the three and uh, we had a little flurry and that was that flurry right there is what won the tournament for us so dating back i mean to four wins that i had last year havasu the delta alamo um Every single one except for Clear Lake had to do with barometric pressure. The top 10 at Smith Lake, that was all barometric pressure. You know, I recognize that the barometric pressure went from high to low, and now they're going to want to eat. And, you know, that final day, although the barometric pressure was somewhat low and you had those low overhanging clouds, well, I knew that, well, looking at, like, how high they were, I knew that, you know, somewhat of a post front was starting to go up. Even that right there, conditions aren't ideal to throw a big swim baits. But, you know, right. I know my process. I wanted to win that tournament. The only way I was going to win is to throw a big bait. I didn't want to, you know, I wasn't fishing for second place. I didn't care about second, third, or whatever. You know, I'm in the top 10. The worst I can finish is 10th. I had a six-pound spot, like the biggest spot I've ever seen in my life, come up and blow up on that thing. And, I didn't right. connect, and it is what it is. So it wasn't my right. time to win, and congrats to John Cox for winning. But yeah. uh, Real anyway, quick, uh, uh, 
real, real quick, we have a question up here uh, asking about numbers for, for pressure numbers and what's a high and a low pressure number. Is there a like I don't care. Time? Yeah, throw that, take that information, throw it out the window. You don't, you don't need to know about that, okay? Um, that would drive you crazy. The reason being why is, um, okay, barometric pressure is relative to elevation. So the lower, like if you're at sea level, the normal barometric pressure, I think is 29.22 or whatever. And then if you go all the way to a high elevation lake, um, I think I was looking at some high elevation lake and it was like 26. I don't care about that. I just care when it goes up or down. Okay. So mm -hmm. you're looking for drops. That's all you're looking for. So when it starts dropping, now remember, it's, it's, it's a little weird, like, if you're on one side of the lake um, and then only about half a mile, you know, a mile that way, you know, whatever, the bear measure might be dropping. But over there, over in your end, it, it, you know, it, it's not dropping, stable or maybe even going up. So you got to pay attention to all the signs, the cows, things like that. And um, I've been working with a, uh, a, part, uh, a buddy of mine. He doesn't fish, but he's uh, a chemist. And. I was telling him about my experiences with barometric pressure and, you know, he's asked me a lot of questions that I didn't know. And that, that made sense because he said, well, maybe it's not like uh, um, this or that. And maybe it's because, you know, if the barometric pressure goes down, the algae and stuff releases oxygen and there's other causes, but whatever it is, but we ended up finding out there was a research that we read that when barometric pressure decreases, uh, the dissolved oxygen in, in, in water increases. Because the first theory that I ever read about and heard about was, um, and let me know if you guys heard about it, is it has to do with the air bladder, right? When the barometric pressure lowers, the air bladder increases, therefore it pushes fish up. I don't think that's the case because if you're bloated, why would you want to eat? You know, right. and uh, yeah, fish that are up shallow, that are already shallow, I've seen this before. This is bad fishing time. So I'm going to give you guys an uh, 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 interesting thing to think about here that I personally experienced myself. I, you know, I'll go out there and I'll find a bad fish that I need to catch during the tournament. Mm -hmm. I go out there, the bear mesh pressure is going up. That fish is already shallow. So, you know, it takes out the factor of that fish going up or fish moving up. He's already there. But he's very inactive. He doesn't want to bite anything. He's not aggressive. He just wants nothing to do with any of the baits. And then I come back when the bear mesh pressure is lowering. I come back, and all of a sudden, he's a different fish. He's aggressive. He's willing to bite. He's locked on. He's aggressive. So that kind of made me think that, well, it has. I don't think it has anything to do with the air bladder. I think there's something else. And I think that something else has to do with uh, dissolved oxygen in water. Um, you know, so I'm always like researching, thinking about more things, but my chem chemist buddy did tell me that, uh, the dissolved oxygen in water does increase when the barometric pressure lowers. So that answers that when there's more oxygen in water, the more fish are going to be more active. Right? right. So another thing I was watching that kind of proves his theory that I was watching, I just saw this like four days ago. You guys ever watch like uh, I'm always like lost on the internet watching videos and stuff, and I, I've been watching like this guy who was making like like something with epoxy, right? So he mixed up the epoxy, poured it in some wood, and he put it in a vacuum chamber, vacuums it out, and all the bubbles rise up to the very top. I'm like, well, when the barometric pressure lowers, maybe the oxygen molecules rises up, and therefore the fish shallow or are more active. That could be it. Now I'm not a scientist. 
but I do pay attention to those little details. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, there's something there. I don't know exactly what it is. These are just theories. But um, say, yeah, since I paid attention to it in the last seven years, it's changed my um, it, it changed like the game for me. It changed tournament for me. It made me a lot more consistent because it helps me fish slow and I know when to fish fast, you know, so I'm not out there wasting a bunch of time throwing a spinner bait, wondering why they're not eating it. Well, mm -hmm. I'm throwing a spinner bait and I'm like, I don't think they're going to eat it. And I'm usually right. So I wait till other signs like parametric pressure. And I can tell you with like wind, we all hear, we all heard about, oh, wind is your friend. When you throw wind, you know, uh, you know, when it's windy, pick up a spinnerbait or whatever, right? Go to the best bank. But we've all experienced that. Well, when it's windy, you go there to your best bank and you can you don't catch anything. <laughs> well, the wind is only your friend if that system's low bearing pressure pressure system moving in. So I've seen that before, and hmm. uh, I, that happened just last summer. You know, last summer uh, we were fishing the championship. My partner Daniel Elias and I. What was interesting about that tournament that um, I'm going to recall here and tell you guys a story about that one, which will blow you away. We were catching on A rigs, G Funk rigs, um, you know, they make a really good uh, a, a bait uh, or a rig. Basically, it's an umbrella rig, just a finesse style, because here in the desert, the, the waters out here are pretty clear. So you have to, you know, you, you have to be. What are the hook regulations in Arizona? It's only uh, two here. It's oh, only wow. two. Yep. I'm assuming so, your bottom two then? Yeah, the bottom two is longer. The middle ones is uh, medium, and the, the top ones are short. Okay, so they, they, they have to eat the bottom ones. And, you know, they rarely, rarely eat the teasers. It has 90% of the time when you get a bit, it's going to be in the bottom. You're going to hook up. So, anyway, that day I was looking at the barometric pressure. It was lowering, but there was no wind. We went to the bank. Daniel actually found that bank. We had a field day on that bank. And again, glass calm conditions, thrown in A rig, relatively clear water. And when they ate that A rig, you couldn't see the jig head. Okay. So uh, we did pretty well. I think we were like up there somewhere. I can't remember where we finished. But uh, second day we went out. While the wind's beating up on that bank, it looked good, man. But before cruising up there, I said, man, the clouds are high and thin. But after the bear mesh pressure is going up, I don't think they're going to eat it. Okay. So we got there. We still had to go find out through right when we got there, get a little tap, nothing. And then we get another little tap. I set the hook. I, I caught one, but it was a small one and was barely hooked. Fish for another 30 yards, tapped it again. And then I look at my buddy Daniel. I'm like, dude, the bear mesh pressure is going up. I don't think this is not the deal. So I said, we're better off fishing slow. Let's go hide in a pocket somewhere and throw Cinco's. So we did that. We caught like a, one that went a little over three pounds and finished in the top 10. That made all the difference in, that, in the world, catching that one extra fish. Whereas if you didn't pay attention to bear measure pressure, um, you probably would have wasted your time fishing. It was like 150 yards long. Bang. We fished it for like you know, 30, 30 yards at the most and left. Um, so with that being said, that's, that's the power of the bear mesh pressure and looking mm. at it. Um, you know, when, when I'm fishing and I understand that the bear mesh pressure is going up to noon and I don't have a good bag, I don't panic because I wasn't, 
expecting the bite to be good anyway. I was expecting for an afternoon bite. And if you pay attention closely enough, um, you know, you'll notice that, you know, certain during certain times of the year, the bear mesh pressure typically drops at a certain time. And usually that's going to be in the afternoon. So I associate that, you know, a lot of guys associate that with, oh, just an afternoon bite. Well, I associate it with bear mesh pressure. So I think that by far is the most important thing you can pay attention to bear mesh pressure by far. Um, Cause Let's, let's face it. I mean, we're not all going to get tournaments like I had at Smith Lake where a swim bait bite lasts for three days. Well, the reason why it lasts for three days, we had overhanging clouds, low pressures, big system kind of moving through, and it took three days to pass. Mm -hmm. Usually a swim bait like that only lasts for a day for me. That's it. So I was real thankful it lasts for three days, but that's why like, I wasn't even mad about like, not catching them on the final day. I was thankful I caught them the first three to make the top ten cut, man. Right. Yeah. So Backlash Pro, going talk about the S wave real quick. He asked you what color it was and do you have a confidence color? Uh just something shad pattern, you know. Just uh honestly, I don't um when you're throwing bigger baits, you'll notice that um, you know, if you get the major colors right, like you know, I'm gonna say green pumpkin's one of the major colors, you know, imitates a bluegill. A shad pattern imitates some sort of bait fish, you know. And then sometimes there's off the wall colors like paint, black, whatever. Um, you know, so just get in the ballpark, you'll be fine. But I do have like confidence as far as like how clear the water is. And this goes along with every bait that I throw. Here in Arizona, like when I went out to Smith Lake and they said, oh, we're fishing a clear fishery. I got out there and I went to the dam where the clearest water was. I was like, you guys call this clear? <laughs> like we call this stain back home, you know. Um, like if I go to Mojave, I can legit see down 28, 30 feet and see a boulder down there. That's how clear it is out here. Mm -hmm. I can see a fish 40 yards away swimming. I can't do that here back east. So with that being said, I mean, you guys are up north. I, I guess some of those fisheries are pretty clear up there. So you guys know what clear water is. But anyway, rule of thumb. Clear water, I like to throw some sort of a translucent color, okay? Mm -hmm. um, overcast conditions, I do like to throw like a solid, like a white color. Like a and then, yeah, like a bone. You know, we all know like, yeah, you switch over bone for top water and overcast conditions. But at the end of the day, like, I don't really get too in depth in color because um, I think presentation and when you throw it is more important. More importantly is uh, when they're eating, when they're willing to eat a reaction bite, like just throw it and they're on shad, just throw some kind of shad color. Like guys overthink color too much. But um, I mean, I do and I don't. And, and I'll tell you guys a little quick little story. Um, I may or may have not have gut hooked the fish um, a while back. And I felt like the most responsible thing to do <laughs> is, well, he's, I thought he was going to die. So I threw him in my live wall. So I guess that's a felony, uh, keeping a bass or so committed a felony, right? But <laughs> anyway, uh, again, we all have a responsibility. It does happen. You know, it's not like I want that fish to um, keep that fish because I don't even like eating bass, but it was, I had to do it. So I threw him in the live wall with no pumps, nothing. I, I went home and I put the boat away and went to sleep. Woke up. I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot to put that fish away. <laughs> so it was in my live wall. So I went out there. It was still alive at the bottom of my tank with that much water in it. So I just threw in my fish tank and I had a pet bass, right? So 
I started messing around with this bass, experimenting with it, and I learned a lot from this bass. Um, when I took a, a big bait, uh, you guys know what a torrid tube is? Mm. Okay, it's a pretty big tube, and this is a two-pound bass. So after he ate all my algae eaters, ate everything in the tank, it was just him. So I had to feed him and all that stuff. <laughs> which, yeah, it, it was a big bummer. Um, anyway, I'll drop a torrid tube in there and a green pumpkin one. That fish will grab the whole thing. So first thing I learned is that bait's that big. The bass is not that big. He hits it. The bait's gone in one little gulp. So when a bass really wants to bait, he's going to eat it. And that, that bait, he ate it like it was nothing. So anyway, you know, I got the, the bait back out. And I drop it right back in. And he'll grab half of it and spits it out. By the third time, he'll grab just the tentacles and spit it out. By the fourth time, he'll just kind of look at it. But if you take that green pumpkin one out, throw a white one in, the process starts all over again. So hmm. that basically taught me to, well, I got to mix up colors now. So here in Arizona, you know, green pumpkin is a very popular color. And, you know, a lot of guys by now know how to catch them on a wacky rig cinco. I mean, I love, I mean, when that is basically like my go-to bait this time of year in that clear water fisheries. But uh, when I see everybody else throwing it, and I can tell they got green pumpkin on, then I'll switch over to watermelon red, just kind of throw a little extra glitter in there to kind of, because the presentation is right. It's just, they might be conditioned to seeing that color. You know what I mean? Um, that's why like uh, at the Delta about five years ago, I, th I got third in that tournament. Um, we all know Chatterbeak's awesome there. Everybody throws green pumpkin, everybody throws red and everybody throws white. I went with purple. I, just, I was just messing around. I was just tied on a purple one. I got third, you know, uh, on, on that chatterbait just because I knew the presentation was right. And, uh, you know, I just experimented with, you know, a completely off the wall. And the reason why I went with purple, because we know that purple is a good color there because of Robo Worm, they make this margarita mutilated color. So that's where I got the idea. And it worked. So, yeah, I, I experiment with colors in that fashion. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm you know, I, I always resort back to you know my my rules okay and my rule was at smith lake i was throwing green pumpkin when i got there and the bite was okay i put on natural shad because the water was clear and the sun was out and between natural shad and baby bass i was getting a lot more bites but during the tournament we had overcast conditions that i found that green pumpkin now was working better than natural shad and baby bass so that's a little trick that i learned in northern california um, you know, when the sun's out, I just lighten up my colors, especially if the water is clear and, uh, when the water is dirtier or we have overcast conditions, I go with a darker color, but I don't get too caught up in like, oh, that, you know, it has to have, you know, this, you know, stripe or whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. Another question kind of along with that. And one that, uh, Andy, I'm taking as my vote for to win some coffee tonight is Charles Blood's question. Uh, going back to barometric pressure, saying, do clean and dirty water affect how the bass react to pressure drop, or is it kind of like the same thing? It's the same thing. Um, in dirtier water, you can, like, okay, let me just explain clear water. In clear water, you got to be perfect, okay? So, you know, they can see the bait. You know, bass detect lures by a few different ways, right? They see the bait, 
And they also have lateral lines that help them detect vibration and then that will help them hone in on prey. That's why when you flip, the bass don't, you know, they don't have eyes in the back of the head, but when you flip, sometimes they just turn around and eat it because they feel the vibration through their lateral lines. It's actually very sensitive. Um, and in dirty water, usually in dirty water, usually you're going to fish shallow anyway, okay? Because the fish kind of want to move up um, and, 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 you know, what, like especially out of river system, um, you know, they're going to move up and be right up on the bank. And I think that there's other factors that you might want to consider too. So, you know, one of the things here in Arizona, when the water goes up, they actually move up with the water. There's a good percentage of fish that actually do that. So you want to fish super shallow out here. Um, back east, I don't have too much experience back there, but a bass is a bass. So I think they're going to be doing the same thing. Dirtier water usually comes from runoff coming in. Usually when there's runoff, the water's going up. So, you know, you got to fish shallow. Um, and in, in shallow water, um, I think that you have a better chance at getting a reaction bait, a bite when the barrier mesh pressure is going up because they, they kind of have to eat, you know, especially if that bass is hungry enough, they're going to eat. But uh, with that being said, no, I don't, you know, I think it's the same way. Um, you know, I don't think uh, bear mesh pressure is going to affect them, um, you know, if the water is clean or dirty. It's just how your approach is uh, in that particular fishery. Right. That makes sense. I mean, does it does it affect like, um, so say take like a pickwick, right? A current, a current body of water. Um, mm -hmm. How does that barometric pressure play when there's current? Uh, current, it again, um, you know, current, well, when, when there's no current, let's just start from the opposite. When there's no current, you know, there's no oxygen factor to consider. It's pretty straight up. So it definitely affects it, right? right. When there's current, remember, you got oxygen movement and stuff like that. And I think it ties in barometric pressure ties in with oxygen, dissolved oxygen more than anything. So in my experience, it still affects it, but just not as much as a no current situation. Okay. okay. So I'm not saying go out there and use this as a rule when the bear measure pressure goes up, you're not going to catch them on a reaction bite. I'm just telling you when the bear measure pressure goes up, they're not going to bite 90% of the time. There's always that 10% you found, you know, a really active area. There was other factors affecting it. You might have maybe stripers pushing shad in and the, the bass are using that as an opportunity you just you were just there at the right place right time i mean there's so many other factors to consider so instead of going down the bank and throwing ration bite uh, bait and just going on a high pressure day i will go down i'll throw a couple casts at a high percentage target and i'll put it right back down okay and sometimes i get lucky sometimes i do so um you know use that basically what i'm use that as a rule as a guideline not you know, an official rule. And yeah, when the barrier mesh pressure is up, you should not be doing whatever it is that you're doing because remember there's other factors. Like um, I was kind of intrigued by the fact that guys back East, when I was fishing Smith Lake, they were so surprised I was throwing a swim bait and they called it a big swim bait. A S waiver is actually a tiny swim bait to us out here. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and and when they wrote giant, I'm like, man, I hope the guys over at Swimbait Universe don't see that. <laughs> and when you throw nine, ten inch swim baits, you know, like the depth two fifty, you know, uh, anything big, really, you'll notice that it has a lot of drawing power. 
you know, mm -hmm. big fish. And, you know, because it draws them up, sometimes they just get aggressive enough to tap it and sometimes they hook them. They're not actually eating the bait, they're attacking the bait. So um, I want to say half my fish over at Smith Lake, they're, you know, spotted grass or bass are aggressive by nature. So they're going up and they're just grabbing it. And I saw it with my own eyes. I mean, they'll go up there and mouth it and let go, bite the tail and let go, um, you know, just trying to get it out of its territory or whatever, or just curious. But uh, again, I, you know, half the fish, I don't even think they're trying to eat it. The other half, when they did want to eat it, that was kind of fun. Because <laughs> they right. took the rod right hand, yeah. Yeah. To follow up on that question, Charles Blood has another one saying, uh, does rising and falling water have a play in pressure on how those fish set up in the water column? And I know you kind of touched upon it with those shallow water fish, where if it's mm -hmm. a, I believe you said pressure falling, that's why those shallow water fish or get more aggressive? Yeah. So when the pressure is lowering, um, again, I'm going to go with that theory that the uh, dissolve oxygen in the water increases, making the fish more active. Okay. So again, we're just talking about stable water because that is the outside element that we're trying to get rid of, right? So mm -hmm. stable water, pressure going up, down, fish get active, the, the shallower fish. And when I say shallow fish, I was, I'm talking about fish, you know, 10, 12 feet or less. To me, that's shallow. When I was in Florida, you know how mind-blown I was, I was when guys were like, hey, I'm catching them out deep. How deep? Four feet. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? that, was, that was a little shocking. But uh, to answer his question, well, it's going to affect them the same way. You know, uh, the fish that live up shallow, they're going to be more opt to bite. But remember, when the pressure, when the level drops, those fish have a tendency to pull out in front of where the water is going to be dropping. So if you found them in the back of a pocket and it's a relatively shallow pocket, when that water starts to drop, they will sense that. And they'll pull out to the next deepest area and, and, and kind of pull out in front of the water. So fish in the California Delta a lot, you'll notice how fast those fish will start to move out. You know, you actually have to be in front of the fish. Uh, for example, when the water goes up at the Delta, man, they're right on the bank. I mean, I'll have to lighten up by my chatterbait, go down to a three eighths if I'm throwing half an ounce, you know, basically fish the inside. And I mean, they're in inches, you know, they'll bite a, uh, allure as soon as it hits the water as long as you make your cast right on the bank whereas if the water is dropping down you're not going to get those bites anymore where you throw on the bank they're not going to come up and eat it they're actually pulling out to the middle of the grass and when the, the 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 water drops to where the middle of the grass gets a little shallow they'll pull out on the outside edge before it even pulls out now apply that theory to lakes i apply it to lakes when the water is dropping and our waters here in arizona i mean it goes up and down a lot okay arizona we don't have a lot of water like you guys do back east and up north um yeah it's uh water's precious out here so um when the water drops out here man i'm already like i don't even go back in any of those pockets anymore i'm i'm gonna be fishing the first back is those secondary uh points and, um, you know, when the water is dropping too much and, you know, they're scattered and they're like all over the place, man, I would just fish bluff walls because they're going to be anywhere from me to the bluff wall. And that's it. You know, <laughs> so that's another strategy, too. If the water is dropping in your area too much, go go fish bluff walls. They're somewhere between you and the wall. If you're fishing, you know, if you're like 40 feet off, that's it. You know, usually they're right on the wall sitting on a shelf or something. 
Right. So that was what I was going to ask you too, is like with that S waiver, how were you targeting those fish? Like, were you setting up right on the bank and casting parallel? Were you, how were you targeting those spotted bass? So uh, Smith Lake, it was actually a very unique situation. Um, those spotted bass and thanks to my Lawrence active target. Okay. Uh, I saw how they were set up. You know, you can go throw a dart at the map, drive out to that spot, pan around, you'll see them. And they're, it could be 120 feet, 180 feet, or 30 feet. They were suspending five to 10 feet offshore. And those fish, they're kind of inactive fish. They were very hard to catch for me. And, you know, it reminded me a lot like Lake Shasta when they pull off, they don't want to eat anything. And there's only a select lures that you can throw out there. And you know how, like, when I caught that Cinco fish, I threw a wacky rig Cinco in 90 feet of water and I caught that fish, which kind of blew me away. I never do that. So with that being said, keep that in mind. I'm going to tell you typically how I approach it, okay, um, especially in clear water, okay. I basically, you'll see me right up on the bank, okay, and I will cast out 45 degrees out deep, okay. So I'm trying to get a pass. Bring it uphill then. I'm bringing it uphill. It causes like a, a, a funnel effect, okay? And I'll explain to you why you get – the same funnel effect is why you get bit next to the boat so many times. So when you throw this lure all the way out there, you get it past the fish where you think they're setting up. You creep it up to them. They see it, and they're swimming it up up shallow. So there's less and less and less water as you go shallower, and then they usually will have to eat it because – they got no other choice. It's, it's the, the strike zone is getting smaller and smaller, whether they're going to eat it or not. If you look at that video, I actually had I actually had like three bites where I'm reeling it up. I don't give up right, right next to the boat because that's another high percentage. Uh, um, Your boat's time. on the wall almost. Something for them to pin that baby exactly. in. And yep. 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 So I reel it all the way to the rod tip a lot of times, especially if I think I'm in a good area and. I mean, it was cool. I mean, if you, you guys saw how, like, I caught, like, a three and a half. Mm -hmm. That fish ate. I reeled twice, swung him in the boat, okay? And that's that's the reason why I like to to park my up boat up shallow. Kind of like if you, um, I guess the best way I can explain it is, like, uh, you know, you're, you're, the sky is clear. There's nothing in the sky. And you see a blimp up there. You're going to look up, dude, there's a blimp. I kind of picture fish, like, in that mid-depth, looking at your boat, like, dude, look at that boat, right? So that's why I try to hide my boat in shallow water. So I use that as cover. Um, that's all I'm going to be able to think about now is, dude, there's yeah. a blimp. <laughs> that's yeah, all yeah. I'm going to think about now. <laughs> yeah, so I know. It's a, it's a crazy way to explain it. And then... Another way that I do try to make my cast, I cast super shallow. I'm trying to hide the the, the bait splash from my bait because, you know, throwing big baits, when you throw right on top of them, they're like, oh, what is that? And their alarm is going off. They feel a threat already. Mm -hmm. So I try to cast right up shallow, throw it past the fish and sneak it out to them. And uh, that's, a, that's one of the things that I do. Kind of like how when you're frogging, if you're frogging shallow, you throw on the bank and drag it off the bank into the water. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys do that. Okay. Yeah, I do that when the water's going up here in Arizona. <laughs> and I've seen it where, like last year we got sec. We had a mega bag the second day. And, you know, going down the bank, I saw 
of what I saw about five big ones, but three of them were facing the bank. Usually that happens when the water's even inching up here in Arizona. So that explains like somewhere at nighttime when you throw a buzz aid or or um you know a Senko, you gotta throw it right on the bank and sink it out to them and then you know it's weird. It's almost like they're, they're they want that big shallow and that's the reason I mean, a lot of the water might be going up. Right. So we have a question here from Brandon Berlinski, and he's mm-hmm. asking, are you monitoring the pressure while you're on the water, and how do you make adjustments when you see that pressure changing? I look at I look at the app this morning. First thing in the morning, that's it. Um, the pressure, just like anything else, um, it's like, you know, looking at the weather two or three days in advance, you know, but obviously the closer you look at it, you typically the day of, that's going to be the most accurate, right? So I look at it two or three days out sometimes just to get an idea, but really in the back of my mind, I'm like, dude, it can change. I'm not even worried about it. But first thing in the morning, when I launch my boat, I'm waiting for my boat number, I'll pull up. All I'm looking for in my app is, all right, when does it drop? So it drops around 11. Around 11, I'm start looking for signs, and I'm looking at clouds. If you guys saw me in the live feed, I will bet you that you will see me kind of look up, huh? huh? You know, <laughs> I was looking up, and what's going through my mind is, okay, I'm looking and seeing, like, how high these clouds are, where, where they're coming in from. Right. Um, so I'm looking, so I see that little cloud. I'm paying attention to that cloud. And if the wind's pushing this way, I'm definitely paying attention to that cloud. When that cloud gets a little closer and closer and closer, boom, I pick up a reaction bait. If I'm throw, if I'm not throwing a reaction bait already, I'm picking up a reaction bait and I'm hitting up all my high percentage spots at that point. That's paid off for me so many times. So I'm giving you guys like the juice, man. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> myself. We appreciate uh, you. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man. It's uh, I, I've there's people that spent time in the boat with me. I'll tell you another story down in Mexico just uh, the other November, and um, yeah, this was kind of crazy because again, the guy was asking me. I think a lot of guys asked me, but they like, yeah, whatever, man. You're uh, full of it. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> what I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because uh, it does sound crazy. It does sound crazy, and I kind of like kind of looked at it subjectively. But um, I was fishing with my good buddy, uh, Todd Woods, down in Mexico. And first thing in the morning, we were smashing them, man. I mean, we were swinging in five. Mexico, we were swinging in five-pounders, calling them dinks. Okay? It was super fun. <laughs> we went on a trip. And uh, all of a sudden, the bite dies. But I had paid attention to these clouds coming our way. I'm like, hey, Todd, I think it's going to take about half an hour, 45 minutes for that cloud to get here. So there was three finger clouds heading this way. So right. – we stayed. In, we decided to stay in the area instead of going out there and finding fish. So as soon as those finger clouds kind of pushed towards us, I'm like, "Here it comes!" Right when it got to like around eleven o'clock, they started busting on shad, feeding on everything. We we're smashing them again. That cloud passed us, and the bite stops. And I'm like, "Dude, there's another one coming!" So we waited in the area. That one came. They started biting it again, and it stopped. That happened three times in a row. And Todd was like, dude, this is crazy. I can't believe that I, I've never paid attention to that. You know, so a lot if of guys. Would get that, if, you're, if you had that much of a trend going on, that had to have been the case. No, I'm, I'm, I'm positive, guys. It's, it's been the case. My first experience with it was a uh, very young age. I was 12. I think, yeah, that year we had just got into bass fishing. And um, I remember that trip very well. It was uh, 
my dad was in a, a ski boat. That's all we had that time. We tied a rope to a John boat. So like me, my cousins, my uncles, I mean, there was like, I think like five of us in the ski boat and like another four of us in the John boat. And he was like trolling us like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of like, you know, that's, that's basically our trolling motors, his big motor kind of pushing us around and we're just throwing crankbaits, rattle traps. And we were smashing them, man. I think we caught like between all of us, like 50, 60 fish in a few hours. I mean, it was off the charts. Heck yeah. And I remember I couldn't sleep that night. And I was like, man, I can't wait to get out for the sun to get up. And when we got up, bluebird skies, no wind. We get out there. I fished to like 11, from sun up to 11. Didn't even catch one freaking fish. <laughs> you know? And that, that memory always stuck with me because, you know, why? Why? Why didn't that, that, why did those fish stop fighting? We were catching so many the day before. Well, the day before that storm was coming in, and remember, we had to get off the water because it started raining like crazy. You guys all experienced that when you go out there and the fish is like awesome, but you know, a tornado is heading your way or whatever. You guys got to do with that, please, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like on an extreme scale. There's also windows of opportunities that, you know, pop up throughout the day. And the bigger the drop, the better the fishing is going to be. You know, um, when it's stable, there's going to be a grind. You know, you can grind them out here and there. It's not good. It's not bad. When it's going up, yeah, that's when I'm like, man, I hate fishing deep, but I will pull out deep if I have deep fish going. Um, and those fish are less affected by barometric pressure. So, you know, pay attention to the guys that you know that fish deep. Pressure's going up. Typically, they do better, you know. And uh, yeah. the guys, you know, throw big swim baits and chatter baits all the time, they usually struggle. Right. Um, so with that being said, yeah, is there any other questions? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here in a second, but real fast, uh, Brandon's going to win the coffee bag there for me just because of a great little tangent, a couple side stories we got out of it. That's a great question. Thank you, Brandon. Heck yep. yeah. And Brandon, we, Brandon's a fellow New Yorker, so uh, we'll get in touch yeah. with Brandon. We'll get in touch with you, buddy, and get you that second bag of coffee. Um, yeah. yeah, we got some more questions for you here, Ty. Uh, Scott Klein um, is asking. He's so he's going after River Smallies tomorrow. He said, right now the pressure is rising and going to be cloudy tomorrow. High of sixty six. The winds are light and variable. What would you throw? He said he's been smashing them on one ten plus one juniors. Okay, so you're dealing with smallies. Um, I'm glad you asked that question because smallies are less affected by bear pressure pressure. What I told you, everything I told you, I'm thinking about largemouth the whole time, okay? Smallies put them in a different category, although they're still all bass. Um, they do funky stuff like, and they always seem to break the rules, okay? With, uh, and this, I do learned this from Josh Bertrand. There's like different strands of smallies too. You know, and they act different, much like how a northern strain largemouth would act different than a Florida strain largemouth. So right. uh, I'm still learning about smallies, so I'm going to throw that out there. I rarely get to fish for them unless I go down to Havasu. If we catch them at Roosevelt, it's by accident. And I caught, I accidentally caught a 582 at Roosevelt, a 5.82, which. That's a big you know, smallie. That's a big boy for Arizona. Yeah. Uh, one big fish with a smallie at a largemouth lake. It was kind of funny. Um but smallies, if it's overcast, they have a tendency of roaming. So I'm paying attention more like the overcast. So they're visual feeders, okay? Um, 
And a lot of guys tend to struggle with them because when there's overcast and it just kind of came in, um, you know, I, I'll tell you a little secret. Um, I like to throw big bigs at smallies when overcast comes in because they're sight feeders, okay? And I noticed that when you're throwing little tiny lures and stuff in overcast days, it just doesn't work as well because I think that, well, there's such so reliant on sight, they're just not seeing that little lure anymore when the overcast also comes in. Now, give them like two or three days of overcast, you know, they'll start biting it again because, you know, the eyes have kind of adjusted. I think it takes fish a lot longer to adjust to light conditions than we can, uh, than we think. Okay. So, mm -hmm. well, it's kind of like getting up in the morning and turning your bedroom lights on or your hallway light. You're like, oh. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good point. I, I think so. I certainly think so. I'm not even joking about it. Um, yeah, because uh, there's, there's times where I'm fishing a buzz bait and like it's off the wall and like it shuts off, but I'm like, got more daylight. That mm. I know they can hear it, and then when they come in, they completely miss it. So if you, if you're throwing a white one, switch to black, and they'll buy another like 20 minutes of buzz bait fishing. Right. That's a little tricky. <laughs> But uh, anyway, it was always when there's overcast conditions, um, you know, just keep in mind that they're going to be roaming out around a little bit more. Um, the vision, yeah, that's one of the best lures to throw for smallies. But uh, needless to say, like if I'm throwing a Kitek, I love throwing Kitek at smallies. Um, if I'm not dipping the tail, you're going to bet I'm dipping the tail on an overcast day. Uh, I'll throw, you know, more opt to throw chartreuse. I like to throw, you know, S waivers at them. They'll smash a freaking S waiver, man. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so with that being said, I would just probably stay away from the little finesse stuff. When it's bright and sunny out, I mean, one of the things here we do in Arizona, we throw like little hair, like hair jigs at them on a five-pound test line and just kind of sight fish for them. But that works better in sunlight, like, like dead calm, super clear water. And then overcast comes in the pipe, just dies on us. Right. Yeah. Yep, yep. So total sidebar here. Uh, you mentioned how, obviously, well, obviously because you're from Arizona as well, that you can mm -hmm. see down 10, 20 foot. Do you guys down in that southwest, those clear lakes, when those fish are spawning, I'm assuming with that clear water, it allows them to spawn much deeper. So do you yes. guys ever use a flogger for those fish? Yeah. If we're allowed to, Sure. Heck yeah. Wait, allowed? You guys aren't allowed to use floggers in certain trails? Certain trails you're not allowed to. Like the Wild West Bass Trail, you can't. The Bass Junkies, you can. Um, huh. You know, so if it's a team event, I like the idea of floggers because it promotes working together as a team. I don't look at that as a uh, disadvantage or an advantage, right? It's just one of those things. Like, it's a team event. Let's promote you know, that team mentality, because if I got a flogger in my hand, that means I'm probably not fishing at all. You know, you got to make the right call. So, you know, like there's rules. It is what it is. I mean, I can do either or, or, or you know, uh, for it or without. It's not a big deal, whatever the rules are. I'm just curious why they wouldn't, why trails won't allow it. Maybe if it's like a safety thing, just guys not paying attention or something. I don't. Yeah. Well, a lot sure. of these rules are, are made because, you know, there's a Karen in our society, right? That <laughs> they don't want to, like, I'm sorry. Uh, Avery, <laughs> Avery, Avery, I'll say it. Let's, get, let's, let's go there. Like, That's Avery, amazing. That's Avery. <laughs> there's a you Karen. know, there's trails that banded out here, but 
I can guarantee you, like, it's a guy that doesn't want to go learn about it. Because if you learn about it, you'll know it's a situational bait. Air mm-hmm. right. pressure is a big deal. Time of year, as we learn, is a huge deal. It's you know, like yeah, local trails saying that they're super competitive but won't let local pros come and join their trail. Yeah, don't get me started with that, man. You <laughs> 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 not get me started on that, that road. Uh, uh, man, um, you know, I, I – you know, it's nothing more frustrating being a fisherman. And up until this year, uh, I work, man. I don't practice for local tournaments. I can't. Friday is my busiest day. Just because I have a gambling problem and pay a big entry fee doesn't mean that <laughs> I can get fish another circuit because I don't that, you know, when I have time, like, you, you're going to stop a fisherman from fishing, you know, like, like I spend a lot less time on the water than a lot of these guys do. Um, it's not by choice, you know. It's just because I have a family, I got to work. You know, that's what pays the bills. And uh, man, yeah, I mean, I have. I, I can tell you, in the last seven, eight years, I could probably count on both hands. I've done a lot of certain tournaments locally, but I rarely practice. You just can fit. Mm-hmm. And um, but because work kind of got in the way it used to bother me to be honest with you guys it used to bother me like i'm like man if i knew where to catch another two and a half counter i'll win but it's a blessing in disguise because it forced me to kind of go out there and fish the conditions i don't have any preconceived things notions bites whatever from the day before a lot of guys get caught up in that mm-hmm. um kind of like at uh, smith lake i know some of my buddies that caught them on their dogs when the in practice well, in practice, we had sunny conditions, and they use they got under the dock for shade. Well, when there's overcast, those fish, a large percentage of them, now they're roaming. You know, so um, there's also other factors that you got to pay attention to, just not the bare mesh pressure. You know, so like if it's sunny out, bare mesh pressure going down, you targeted dock, and now you're going to dock. Well. If 70% of the fish are gone, you know, you still have to make the adjustment to catch them in the overcast condition caused them to scatter. And I've seen that before where I was on a really good flip by that Lake Mead. I went there, got the spot, threw to it, nothing, threw to it, nothing, threw to it, nothing. Kind of looked around, realized, oh, it's overcast. They're, they're scattering. So I took a chatter, threw it on the other side of the lake, a cast that I would never have made in certain conditions. I caught one. And then I caught three in a row, and that's what saved my tournament. So it's it's again, it's it's just a bunch of pieces to the puzzle that, like, that's why I love about this sport because the more I learn about it and the more intrigued I am by it, there also is a luck factor. I'll admit it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you pay attention to everything that I'm telling you guys to pay attention to, um, it will just help you catch more fish, help you be more successful. And that's the goal today is to help the viewers understand, you know, maybe another point of view and just kind of take away one piece of information and to help them catch another fish or two. So um, hopefully everything I've been sharing has been insightful because it, it comes, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to promote the sport, right. you know, that I'm really big into that. And, and if I can just help somebody, just find more success. Maybe we'll see more guys out in the water and grow the sport. Heck yeah, dude. Andy, do you have any more questions for Ty before we hit him with our last question? Yeah, man. Thank you for uh, – I'm very 
don't know how to word this properly. I'm very appreciative of breaking down like weather patterns. I'm a firm believer in it as well, especially when smoke fishing definitely affects the fish way more. So things are like bringing out some like scientific. Heck yeah. Oh, I think one thing we were going to cover as well was the uh, that I don't see anybody talking about is the Wild West Apex Trail. I wanted to cover that really briefly because Austin Wilson, who's been on the show a few times, uh, told me he's fishing it. And basically what we spoke about offline was it's a top 30 guys from the Wild West Trail, and it's called the Apex. And it's – I think you mentioned there's no practice, and it's 30 yeah. for first. Do you want to talk about that briefly before we sign off tonight? Yeah, so something that we're starting on the West Coast um, right now, my plans are to fish them, but as a lot of you guys know, my rig's back east, so I'm, you know, working out the logistics, trying to find a boat to go help them build this, because I believe in it. It's huge. You know, it's um, it's called the Apex Series. It's basically, um, it's not just Wild West qualifiers. There's a select few anglers that, you know, historically hasn't fished Wild West, but, you know, we all know that, yeah, that's the guy, you know, that's the guy that can help grow it. So it's invitational only, I should say, that's probably a better term for it. And a great group of guys, you know, um, were, as I was talking to you offline earlier, the West Coast, in my opinion, kind of got stagnant. You know, we go to the Sand Lakes over and over and over again. We go to Havasu. Uh, no, it's all good. Um, and then we're trying to add a few more lakes to the mix, like New Maloney's. Um, and then, yeah, they hardly go to Roosevelt anymore, and they never go to Lake Pleasant. So we don't have a lot of lakes. We don't have a lot to choose from. And I'm 37 now. I've been fishing tournaments for over 20 years now to go to these lakes over and over and over and over again, competing against the same locals over and over and over again. It was getting old, to be honest with you. So... On top of that, yeah, we're trying to, like, grow the West, but we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's not good. It's not growing. It's not working. So, you know, since the inception of Wild West, I mean, we we didn't see 100-boat tournaments. I mean, we're filling up at the uh, Pro-Am level, so that's great to see. Um, you know, the owner, Jeremy DeHart, has been uh, really good on growing the West Coast. So, I mean, I think uh, we broke some – I mean, we were breaking records the other year, like 250. 200-something teams, you know, were throwing, uh, showing up. So it's a great thing to see because before that, seeing a 40-boat tournament here in Arizona's big tournament, now we're seeing consistent numbers, 70, 80, which is big for Arizona. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Apex Series, we're going to smaller lakes. Most of these lakes guys haven't, haven't been to. So being that there's only 30 guys, we actually get to go visit a lot of venues that otherwise we uh, wouldn't be able to go to. And I can tell you, fishing in Northern California, they got some of the best fishing in the world, okay? Some of these uh, lakes are a little further south in California, but uh, they're sleeper lakes, you know, lakes that um, you guys may have never heard of. Um, But, uh, yeah, we're just going out there. Uh, It's going to be televised, so you guys are going to get to see it. And um, hoping and praying that the logistical stuff because it's just not it's not feasible for me to drive my boat back from Alabama, fish, and drive all the way back. I already have 232,000 or 332,000 miles on my truck. I don't think my truck will make it, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, so that's, that, that's what I got there. And, uh, 
it's cool. It's, it's, the anglers and again it's, it's, it's cool being involved with um, you know just the, the group and, and trying to grow the West Coast fishing so I'm excited for them. Yeah heck yeah it's something that I never heard of until Austin mentioned it to me uh, last week and there's something I wanted to bring up and obviously you've been uh, Wild West AOI in recent years I think it was 2017 correct? Yeah 2017 um, I think 2018 team of the angler of the year. I don't know. We missed it in 2019. Yeah. yeah. So, um, right. yeah, I've been fishing all west since the very beginning, man. I'm yeah. hardcore all west. And if I can fish in, I'm there. Right. Yeah. It was a trail that I don't think a lot of people talk about. So, something I really wanted to bring up. And I appreciate you talking about it. It's it's cool because yeah. it is out west. And we don't hear a lot of tournaments out west because not a lot of the big trails go out west. So, it is cool mm-hmm. to see some of the derbs out there that are being highlighted and anglers highlighted. Yeah, no, uh, some really good anglers fish Wild West. You can actually pull them on YouTube. Um, they air on the Pursuit Channel, Fox Sports. Um, there's a few other ones. I think CBS Sports. I'm not quite sure that one. But anyway, you can watch our past shows on uh, YouTube. Go like the Facebook page. Um, you know, you'll get updated by it. I mean, quickly growing last year or this season. Um, they tapped into the Southern Arizona, uh, California market, which has some awesome fishing out there. So you're going to see some mega bags and make, you know, big fish coming in. So it's really neat. Uh, there's one episode though. I want you guys to go check out. It's uh, the wild west bass trail, Lake Shasta and Lake Shasta is a lake that we go up and finesse and worm and all this stuff. But my buddy, Alex, Napias, he caught a 13 pounder, a largemouth 13 pounder followed by an eight pound spot on a, I think a 11, 12 inch swim bait. Make sure you guys oh, go check that one out. Yes. Yep, that was hot on camera. Is it, it's on YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yep. Um, I think that was in, if I recall correctly, it's either in 2018 or 19. Whew. But you'll see a picture of him holding two gents. That's a 13 pound largemouth and an eight pound spot. And you guys heard that right. Eight pound spot. Yeah. I believe he overlapped the field. Shoo. If you overlapped the field, um, I drove mm-hmm. all the way home that tournament. No music on, staring at the road. Seventeen hours. Just what the heck just happened? What did I miss? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he beat, he had my day weight beat by uh, one fish. You know, with one fish, and that's a lake where you go out the goals to catch twelve pounds. He got a thirteen pounder. You know, so yeah, <laughs> me. Well, that's pretty crazy. I'm gonna have to look that up. Definitely, yep. I eat a bunch of those like eight to ten inch spots. Well, uh, one thing about those Northern California lakes, and one common denominator that I see is all the lakes up there that have these big giant spots that you see in pictures and stuff. Uh, they have one common thing is trout, you know, they're trout meters, and it's, it's- um. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know if they're good for our Arizona lakes because all we have is shad, and, you know, we just got uh, Gizzard Shad introduced at some of our lakes, you know, a few years ago. Um, and, yeah, the bass aren't really getting that much bigger. They are getting a little bit bigger, but just not like – we call it vitamin T, vitamin trout. Vitamin <laughs> trout. <I like> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Ty, uh, we're going to wrap up tonight's show with uh, one more question for you. And uh, super sure. simple. Um, pretty much it's if you could sit down with three different individuals, 
have a beer, have a steak, pick their brain. Who are you going to invite? Um, doesn't have to be fishing I, industry, and they don't have to be presently alive. Yeah, I don't, I don't drink, but I'll, I'll sure as heck. Uh, okay, I usually steak. Uh, man, Gerald Swindle definitely be up there. Um, you know, the guy. If I had to mimic my career after anybody, it's Gerald because you know, he, like I'm like him. I love to make people laugh. I joke around a lot. It seems like he's having a great time mm-hmm. and finding success being who he is. Uh, another one, definitely uh, Mike Akinelli. He used to be a break dancer, so I read his book uh, when I first like was reading up everything into about tournament fishing. And then, of course, um, you know, uh, I'm going to add in Clay Dyer. You know, Clay Dyer, I don't know if you guys know that guy. But, man, that guy is my truly my fishing hero. And I should probably name him first. Um, I remember when I lost everything, and as I was driving up to the California Delta, my brother hands me the phone and says, hey, man, check out this guy. He's a guy with no arms and no legs out there getting after it. Me, I still got all my limbs. Yeah, sure, I lost everything, and I was feeling sorry for myself. That video, check him out, Clay Dyer, the is the most inspirational fisherman, like YouTube it. That video did so much for me when I watched it. Man, I stopped feeling sorry for I felt horrible about feeling sorry for myself after watching that video. I felt like uh, I felt like a sissy. Let me just go out and say it. Like I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, I got choices, so. That fired me up and got me to work, man. So uh, I would like to put down with Clay. That's a great trio, dude. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Ty, dude, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your out of your night to join us here and drop some knowledge. I think I've definitely learned a lot, and I can speak for Andrew and the folks that have tuned in for the majority of the show. They definitely learned a lot as well. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Um, yeah, just go check out my Facebook page, Ty Al. I'm holding the trophy. You got like. Don't send me any friend requests. I can't accept anymore. And uh, I'm transitioning over the page, so I don't even check my personal stuff anymore. So uh, Instagram is Ty underscore AU underscore media. And uh, appreciate you guys, man. I had a great time talking about it. I mean, this is stuff that I love to talk about. I, sorry if I got super nerdy about it, but it's stuff that really excites me. Um, we love that part. Yeah. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah. A little hashtag everyone can start using going forward. Forward boats are blips. At every big post I see on Instagram now, I'm gonna just start the hashtag. That's a blimp. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll put I'll put TM and I'll tag your uh, I'll tie out media so that way it's they know it's copyrighted. Like that. <laughs> That's a blimp. <laughs> see, I see you, Brandon. Brandon Hua. well dude uh we really appreciate you tuning in uh it's been a blast uh not only meet you and talk with you but to to learn from you so we hope we can get you back on the show again down the road and obviously we'll be here for you here forward dude all right thank you bailey andrew my pleasure man we'll catch you guys later all right see you later ty yeah yeah such a good dude like especially one that this these are the kind of guests that andrew and i love having on because we can ask questions and we can sit back and they will talk about it. And they'll talk about certain avenues that we didn't even think about asking questions about, which I think is really cool. Um, and I also just love hearing about different swim bait fish. Um, obviously, throwing an S waiver, catching big spots on an S waiver sounds badass. And I'm jealous. Uh, but we had a bunch of folks tune in tonight. We appreciate, appreciate you guys, as always. Real quick, 
Um, folks, down in the description, go follow Ty on his social medias, his Facebook and Instagram are linked below. Um, but also next Wednesday, not only we're obviously uh, Monday next week, we'll be having live. Next Wednesday, we're going to be live as well for episode 200. Uh, there really is no certain specific agenda for Wednesday night because it's episode 200. We're just going to get a drink. We're going to have a bunch of different show, uh, guests on. If you guys would love to be a guest on the show that night and join us, uh, contact us, email us, uh, reach out over social media, whatever have you. Pop in and um, go if you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah, show up Wednesday, put in the comments saying, I want to join, and then shoot us your email. We'll we'll bring you in. It's going to be a fun night. We're going to start at around 8 p.m., and uh, we're just going to kind of kick it and talk about fishing, talk about memory lane, talk stories, um, and kind of and shoot the bucket and see what happens. But uh, we're just gonna, it's going to be a – it's almost like a birthday party in my eyes because it's episode 200 of the show. Uh, where it's come from, where it started, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to do. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of different guests on, uh, people who've been on the show before, Hopefully some people like yourselves that watch the show that have never been on the show before. Uh, it'll be cool to get a mix of everybody on and fill this thing up and see. If, it'll be kind of interesting to see how many people we can get in the stream in general. But Yeah, I mean, uh, so <laughs> I already know um, what the cut report will be. <laughs> see you staying with episode 200. <laughs> you guys, so so Destin and Marion gave us this idea. I don't know if you can see that real. Oh, that's blown up. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what we're talking about for 200. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it took me five seconds to undo. Uh, but <laughs> but we, we've been, Jess and I were joking with each other. Uh, whenever we'd backlash, we'd make a horrible cast or like whatever. We'd, we'd joke and say the series Tangler. Should we make t-shirts that it's like a, a, a joke? Like, yeah. Like just like a comedy little T-shirt, something something for like the the serious angler community for you guys to rock. Just the serious tangler, and obviously we'll come up with a graphic. But if so, if, that, if that's something that somebody will rock, we will obviously put in the effort to make it. So let us know. But uh, we'll probably put out something on social media to see if people would be interested in that. But again, let us know if you guys want to be involved in episode two hundred. Um, as of right now, it, it is subject to change. But as of right now, Friday we do plan to have our Sabine River. Uh, preview show. Um, we'll have the recap for Pickwick and the Sabine River preview show. Uh, Adam has the uh, open on Smith next week. Um, I know Deacon has tournaments this week. We're trying to get that scheduling all figured out because we don't want to bug them for every tournament <laughs> when they're trying to get practice done. Um, but obviously you guys will be the first to know uh, once we figure that out. But um, Andy, you got anything else left for the folks? Yeah, I hope Everyone has a great night. Um, stay healthy and safe. And we will see you next Monday and Wednesday live. Heck yeah. Sounds good. We'll appreciate you folks as always. And we'll see you guys on Wednesday.